Here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. Okay, friends, welcome back. Today I have Jordana Winston. She is a life coach and NLP practitioner. But do not stop there. We are going to be talking about taking the path less traveled, marching to the beat of your own drum, and really what it feels like to just make your life the way that you want to make it. So we're going to be talking about alchemy, blacksmithing, yoga, mechanics, fashion design, so many other things that I don't even know that we're going to talk about. I'm just really excited to get into. So Jordana, thank you for um, coming on today. This is going to be so exciting. Thank you for having me. I'm so looking forward to it. So I don't know where to start, except for I know that you said you travel a lot in the United States and around Mexico. So what in your younger years, because I felt this too when I grew up in a small town, I was like, I want to see the world. I want to go experience. I want to go do that. Did you have like a wonderless fever where you just felt like you just really wanted to get out there and experience the world? Absolutely. And like what you just said um, in your introduction about living life the way that you want to, that was the first tattoo that I got. It's like, um, it's a Druid symbol. That means you can either let life sort of happen to you or you can make choices and take control of it. So that's how I've always approached things, even before I got that t- tattoo. And I didn't really even know what it meant when I got it. But um, after learning about the symbol, I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally what I do. I just I think of something that I want to do and I figure out how to make it happen. Um And growing up, I grew up in Wisconsin. It was very remote, and I just knew that there was a lot out there, and I had to go see what was happening. I felt the same way in my younger years. I think, um, because I grew up in two households. I grew up in a really small town and on a farm. And um, I remember one day I had an uncle that worked for General Mills, and he came to the farm one day, and he said, hey, guess who I met? And I was like, who? And he's like, I met Ashton Kutcher's dad today. And I was like, Ashton Kutcher, right? Because like all of all the girls were like boy crazy for him. And in that moment, I I was like, how like how is somebody like that around like people like us? Right. Like we're on a farm. We're secluded. You know, I thought I thought all those people were like on the West Coast. And he's like, no, he grew up in a farm. And I can't even remember. I don't know if it's Iowa or Ohio or something like that. And I was like, Ashton Kutcher grew up on a farm, like, like how I'm growing up and he's doing what he's doing. And he was just like, yeah. And like something clicked in my head that day where I was like, it doesn't matter that I grew up on a farmer in a small town. And, you know, information takes a little bit to get to us right now in the nineties and two thousands, right? Like all the trends were kind of over by the time it came to us. But that was like the first inkling I had where I was like, if I want to get out of here, if I want to go explore the world, I can. But it also, like, tucked back in my mind. And I always remember, like, I just call it the Ashton Kutcher, where I was like, it doesn't matter if you grow up on a farm or if you're secluded on a mini island in Iceland. It does not matter. If you want to do it, you can figure a way out to do it. That's awesome. 
<laughs> I love that. Does he know that? <laughs> no, no, I'm still, I'm still waiting to just like run into him somewhere in the world and be like, um, not to creep you out, but you're, you're truly a big inspiration for me. And thank you for getting off the farm and showing us farm kids that, you know, if we want to go out and explore the world, we can, we don't have to stay where we were raised just because like there were times where like I was obviously scared to leave like years before I actually ever left I was like I gotta get out of here I am like suffocating I need culture I need I need to learn I need to grow and I would just write about it all the time in my journal and I thought that that was really therapeutic for me because like I was processing the grief of leaving before I left and I didn't realize that until retrospect so then I just was going through one of my old journals the other day and I was writing about like not being home for holidays. And um, I, at that time, I couldn't imagine it because I was always home for holidays. I was always around family. And then um, now I don't I go home for like maybe Christmas and a couple of trips. And I'm like, it's totally worth it for me. You know, like I would much rather go out and grow and do what I want to do versus staying there and sacrificing who I who I know I should be just to be around my family. Cause I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be living to the fullest potential of myself. Right. But it's something that, I mean, I really struggled with in my early twenties. Cause I was like, I got to get out of here, but how am I not going to see my family every day? That's exhausting. But I also had a friend who like left a small town before me. He moved to Nashville when we were kids. And, um, I would always call him and I'd be like, what's it like out there? What are, you, what are you doing? How do you, how do you drive on a road with like six lanes, you know? And he was, he was a, a sweet little, sweet little man to be able to just be like, hey, this is, this is what it's like in a city. This is what it's like here and here and here. And he, he was like my biggest inspiration to leave. Like still to this day, I think that I don't know if I would have had the guts if he didn't go first. So I always like, I have a lot of gratitude for Ashton Kutcher and I have a lot of gratitude for that friend who made the moves like right after college um, to go and live his dream in Nashville. So, yeah, so that's awesome. I left a lot sooner than that. I left when I was 16 and I ran into some traveling kids and it was kind of the same thing. I saw that they were making it work and I was like, well, even though it caused my family a lot of pain, I just knew that I couldn't continue there. It wasn't going to work for me. And so I just jumped out. So where did you start at? Like 16, you met some people that's like, hey, we're really cool, like vagabonds type people, right? We just were wanderers. Um, what was that like? Where did you go? Um, I started in Minneapolis and... Well, I started in Madison and traveled to Minneapolis and then started, uh, I don't know, we hitchhiked to Michigan, I think, Grand Rapids, like, and it just kind of, we just, wherever the wind took us, um, hitchhiking, hopping trains, and I made it to New York City. <laughs> what was that like being from Wisconsin and then seeing New York City for the first time? Well, it wasn't the first time because I'd already come here as a nanny when I was 14. So I did a bit of traveling and gotten out of Wisconsin and came here. And, yeah, I was taking care of, like, a two-year-old at 14 and trucking him around the city. So I'd already experienced it. Um, 
coming back at 16 and living on the street was definitely a different vibe. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was like the diff- yeah, because you know we only we were only in the city at, when I was a nanny. Um, briefly, she lived in Connecticut, so it was yeah, very different vibes. Super posh. I think we lived next door to the editor of Vogue. Oh right, okay. <laughs> and on the Lower East Side, so it was quite different. So then you come and you hop around and just. There's so many, like, random movies that are popping in my head as you're like, yep, just wandering through New York, which is terrifying in my perspective because I've never been there. So I really try not to, like, watch movies, right, or even, like, reality and be like, oh, that's the way it is. But I remember, I don't know who I was talking to. I think it was a guest in a restaurant. And I just talk about how much I love music and I love traveling. Like, those are the two keys to my heart. Buy me a ticket. Buy me a ticket. Let's go, right? And um, I said... I really would like to see New York, but I'm from the Midwest and like we wave at each other, we smile, we make eye contact. Like I don't go out of my way to like be mean to people. And all I've ever heard from anybody that goes to New York is people are really fucking mean. And he goes, oh man, he goes, honey, if somebody like you went to New York, he's like, all you gotta do is try to look up at a skyscraper and that's how they know you're a tourist. Someone will come up and slit your throat and take your purse. And I was like, exactly I like was that. Like, oh my God. No, people here are not mean. It's a kindness. Like the kindness is giving people their anonymity. It's like, um, I moved here from New Orleans. So in New Orleans, you walk down the street, everyone, hey, how you doing? Everyone. You True. cannot pass somebody without greeting them. Your neighbor is wondering where you're going every time you leave the house. Everybody knows your business. Mm-hmm. And that's very beautiful. But if you're not in the headspace and you, like, don't want to be talked to when you walk to the corner store, it can be a bit invasive. So then moving up here, it took me a, a long time to adjust to, like, you don't talk to people when you walk down mm-hmm. the street. But then there's like this great kindness in it because it just gives you freedom to be whoever you are and not have to uh, have your energy going out. There's too many people. Like you would go insane oh, if right? you were like, hey, how you doing? Hey, <laughs> Every hi, time hi, you, hi, hi. <laughs> you would go insane. So it just gives you like a, I don't know. I've, I've like, I feel like I've come into who I am more here, but also because of the work I've been doing on myself, but having that space of not needing to like extend um, hospitality to people Mm -hmm. when I don't really feel like I want to, I can just like, you know, keep my eyes moving forward and no one's offended by it. It's like a, it's like a gift you give each other to like, just be here, but not involved with other people. Um, This is so weird. You're making me want to visit New York now. It's a like, I, I want to just to, like, see it, right? But there's so many people yeah. that have described the people, and they're like, oh, honey, they're going to know you're not from there. <laughs> it's, like, there's oh. tons of people that aren't from here, though. It's such a transplant city. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many people that aren't from here. And it's, um, I don't know. I love this place. I've been coming and going for a long time before I finally moved here, but I always knew I would end up here in a way, and... When I started reading about um, ley lines, this is a really good place for me to be as far as my the ley lines go. And 
it's like exactly what they said this spot is for has happened. Do you know, like, can you describe ley lines to anybody that has no idea what you're talking about? I actually had a lady bring them up a couple months ago when I was um, at a holistic fair that I was working at. And I, I have tons of selenite all over my house. I cannot quit buying selenite or the crystal that's like right off of selenite. And she's like, where do you live at? And I was like, the east side where we have all the earthquakes. And she's like, oh, do you know the ley, land, the ley lines of your neighborhood? And I was like, no, I've heard of them, but like I've never, I've never looked at them or anything. And she goes, honey, you need to go look at your ley lines because that's probably the reason you have so much selenite in your house. You are constantly clearing out that whole area. She's like, it's a very, very old historical part of Wichita. I love it. My street is brick. And I live in Kansas. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, like, oh. nobody like nobody embraces, like, the Wizard of Oz here. Like, I was so excited. Like, maybe there's a yellow brick road <laughs> somewhere. Something. No, there's nothing about the Wizard of Oz here. Because every time you go, like, people call you Toto and, like, make, like, Wizard of Oz jokes. Sorry to, like, tree branch off of my question. But when I pulled up to the house... Um, I didn't see it. I, I signed the day that I saw the house and I pulled up. I was like, I live on a brick road in a cute little historical neighborhood down from another historical neighborhood. I was like, shut up. This is a little fairy tale for me. But now that I know the ley lines, um, it makes a lot of sense as far as like energy and what you're doing here and how everything just kind of like transmutes, I guess. But back to my original question, um, for people that don't know ley lines, do you know the description? I don't honestly know that much about them. Yeah, I mean... I just heard from somebody one day, and I'm like, oh, well, let me go check this out. Um, From what I understand, it's just where the energy works sort of the best with you and is the most beneficial to you to be. And for me, like, New York is where I am supposed to find my purpose, like, supposed to find my purpose work. And I moved up here for something completely different than what I'm doing now, so... It's uh, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. And like <clears throat> New Orleans was completely different uh, energetically for me. Um, so I guess they're just like the intersection of your energy and the Earth's energy, maybe. Yeah, that would make sense, too. So Wichita, latitude and longitude, somebody told me this on the map, is like directly in the middle of the um, United States. And when like they did this diagram <laughs> to me, like all I could see was like, a vortex of energy. You know how like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they're on a hell mouth? Well, I didn't believe it was on a hell mouth. I was thinking more of like a big slate of awesome like rose quartz or something. Cause yeah, we do have like a lot of small earthquakes here. We haven't had any for a while, but we were having so many every week. Like when my daughter was probably a year old that um, they would just get heavier and heavier and they would last like 10, 15, 20 seconds. It'd be like 5.30 in the morning, the bed would be shaking and you would be waking up out of that like theta brainwave state. So you just thought that you were making it up and then the bed would shake hard enough where you're like, oh my God, we just had an earthquake. Like nothing fell off the walls or anything. But I started reporting it to the website where you're supposed to report earthquakes based on where you're at. Um, And then they'll show the map of the main activity and all the activity is in my neighborhood. 
And I was like, do I live on a hell mouth? Am I, am I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now? What the hell is going on? Because <laughs> we just kept having them, kept having them. And then there was finally one. My daughter was napping one day. And there was one. It shook the house for like 15 minutes. And something actually fell off the wall. Like just one thing, which is enough to make you feel like you're in a Lifetime movie. So I like shot up just bad out of hell and like ran and like grabbed my baby. And I was just like... Okay, so should I be worried that, like, an actual big, you know, one is going to come and just shake the crap out of us? Because these are continuous. And then they would be, like, they wouldn't report them. They'd talk about them on the news, but it'd be, like, 15, like, hey, just so you know, the east side, the east side had another earthquake today. Uh, no reports of damage, no reports of this. Da, 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 da. And I was like, are we going to talk about why they're happening? Like, is, any, is anybody going to let me know? Well, my house keeps shaking <laughs> once a week. Like, come on, what's going on? But the ley lines are super interesting. I know that, like, I don't have the definition either, but what you said makes perfect sense. But for anybody that's like, now I wonder what the ley lands are where I live. Um, that would be something cool for you guys to go check out. Reverting back to New Orleans, uh, I went when I was 21, and I 100% believed within the first 30 minutes of being there that I was actually going to move there. And I had uh, four or five days to just go out and explore. And like, I, I was like, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm going to move back. I'm going to save up money for the next year and I'm going to do it. And I talked to a lot of like people that were tourists that they fell in love with it too. So like, they're like, yep, screw it. I moved here within a year of visiting, love the people, <clears throat> love the culture. You know, they're not like some places you go, they're like, we don't like transplants. Get out of here. They weren't like that. They were like, come on, if if this Mm -hmm. is your home, it's your home. And I mean, eventually, like I got away from the event horizon and still I hadn't like actually taken a step to move away and like be supremely independent. So I was actually terrified to move that far away into a supremely different culture than what I was from. So still to this day, I think it is kind of a regret that I didn't move there even for a little bit of time because I love New Orleans. Like I still can't believe I haven't been back to visit, but that like magical, it's truly a magical place. That's the best way that I could say it. Yeah. It's amazing. I didn't want to stay the first time I the first time I went there, I was like 16 and it was pretty difficult. It was extremely difficult to leave. Um, and I wasn't that seduced by it. Like, I just was like, eh, like, I don't know. I just didn't really get it. And then the next time I went back, I was like, oh, <laughs> like, yes, oh. <laughs> this is where I'm supposed to be. So I spent a lot of time. I would leave in the summers for the majority of the years that I lived there, but on and off for 20 years, I would just always go back and live there. And I learned so much. I love that place with all my heart, but it was also definitely time for me to go live somewhere else. So I always had like a timer in my head after I started moving around, which I was blessed to work for a company that um, let me travel a lot and they also paid for it, which was like my goal. Um, but because when I would like work for them, I would get a feel of where I was staying and do I want to move here? Do I want to stay here? Like, do I want to come back here? Right. Um, but for you, my timer was about two years. Like I would, I would just feel I'm like, okay, it's time to go explore somewhere else. It's kind of time to go like move on. Like how in your body did you know that you're like, all right, time for a new adventure? It was pretty, uh, 
every six months, pretty much. Like when the seasons change, especially spring and fall, I would just be like, I need to, I need something different. I need to go do something different. And this is the longest place I've ever lived since I was a child is New York. And in this apartment, I've actually been in this home for like six years now. And before this, I've never lived anywhere longer than two years. I would move every year or before that, before I had a child, it was every six months at least just like there was always something new to see. And, Mm -hmm. and it was very, um, somatic. I really just was like, I have to move. Like it was energetic. I couldn't stay there anymore, and I just had to. Uh, I don't know. I felt like I was a, a migratory bird or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like, all right, it's time to go. Time it was. To go. Yeah, it was definitely like something beyond me was yanking me or pulling me to go somewhere else. That's beautiful that you're able to listen to those cues, though. I remember the first apartment I had in Kansas City. It took me like a little bit to like unpack the boxes and figure out how to set everything up like I took my time with it and then one day I hung up like the last picture and every box was unpacked and I stood in the living room and I went well this is lovely time to pack all this shit up and go do this somewhere else (laughs) and I remember I remember when the guy hired me he's like so you said that you like to travel a lot and you basically have like wanderlust fever and you're kind of like a corporate hippie um my terminology not his he's like if I hire you are you gonna like you know, get up and leave in like two years. And I was like, no, no, I love this company. I said, as long as you're, you know, not a dick, I, I'll like working for you. So, um, no, it'll be fine. Like literally like two, two and a half years is probably what it was. Cause I gave a six month notice and I could like still hear him fuming in his head. Like, Oh, you know, he's like, you're supposed to give me your life. Right. So, um, yeah, I had, I had those same moments where I'm like, oh, well, this has been fun, but it's time to go see something new. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I, uh, I'm very thankful for the hospitality industry because I got to meet so many people and like you, um, Wichita and this house specifically is the longest that I've actually been able to live in a place. Um, so, so long that we actually named the house Shyland. And then I tattooed it on my arm because I was just like, this is the longest I've ever had a home and I'm not staying here forever, but it's really given me a lot of consistency to be able to grow and work on myself instead of jumping around all the time. And yeah, I probably should go work on myself, but oh, look, there's a festival going on tonight and there's a show and there's a class and there's this and oh, I'm going to go hang out here. Like I, I was really forced to like self-examine myself, especially after leaving like corporate restaurant yes. management. Um, yeah. And I think that, I think that was, you know, when you talk about like the higher power, like pulling you and not like they were finally like, stop <laughs> you, you are not allowed to do anything until you face yourself, face your demons, find your truth. And then when I got to the part where they're like, speak your truth, I'm like, that's why I talk all the time. I'm supposed to talk to people all the time. (laughs) Makes so much sense now. Back then, I just thought that I was, you know, like undiagnosed ADHD or something like that. But now I realize the gift of gab is there's a reason for it, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I definitely, um, I would leave and I'd 
would have this idea like oh it'll be better there but yeah you follow yourself is the thing like <laughs> wherever you go there you still are yeah, and definitely an illusion I can do the work like do you it feel does like, help sometimes do you feel like obviously because you said like you've stayed in that apartment a long time like just how long have you been there did you say seven like six years now six in years? this same apartment like in the same so did you have like the the phoenix rising from the ashes moment like in that same apartment when you think of all the versions of you that actually existed and exist now yeah Is definitely like i mean and i think like a lot of people when we when everything shut down i finally was able to stop like because not i wasn't moving but i was running constantly i was working this job and doing that and you know, taking care of my daughter and I was just in survival mode. So when I was able to finally just really stop doing everything, um, absolutely. I fell right in and <laughs> have, uh, just recently, like within the last year, really started to figure out how to come out in a way that is, um, built upon a foundation of like strength and actual, um, like tools I can use to go back to. And I know I will, I can never really go back to where I was before, like that complete falling apart. Now I know I'm like, Oh, I can do this or, Oh, there's this, I can use this. And I just, I've learned to use everything in a different way to move forward. Um, like to inform my future rather than use it as a means to like fall apart. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I love that you're like, I know I can never go back to that. And I had moments where I was able to, best terminology as I can say is like, you have a line, right? And this is like asleep and then this is like awake. And then you like peek your head over and you're like, oh, it's nice up here. And then you go back down and then you're like, oh, it's nice up here. Huh? I don't really know how to maintain this. And then you go back down and this is kind of like your hermit mode. Like this isn't anything negative. This is who you're trying to get away from. And then eventually one day you come over here and you, you can't go here and you can't go here. And you know it, even if you wanted to, which is kind of the best part too, because there was a lot mm -hmm. of like comfort zone going back in that I would go into. I'm like, kind of tired, kind of tired. Think I'm going to go mm, back to my old ways, you know? But then, um, yeah, I had a moment where I was like, I couldn't go back there if I tried and I don't even want to, but man, that's a really big step. I need to, I need to meet people that also can't go back to that because that's just going to inspire me to move forward. You know, I, we meet yeah. plenty of people. I'm sure, especially <clears throat> being a life coach and an NLT, NLP practitioner, you have plenty of people that are kind of doing the peekaboo in your life, in their lives. And you can see it cause you've already been through it. So, um, I just think it's super interesting that you're like, yes, I've like, I've transformed into this and I've found ways to make uh, like my lessons almost like tangible in the physical world too because that's what you're supposed to do there's there's fun parts about like finding yourself where it's like aha I know what I'm gonna do how do I make money off of it so I can do it like how do I do this how do I do this and eventually like I found out it's still kind of like your ego wanting to go like really really fast so there is like like you said in the beginning like releasing expectation going with the flow, realizing that like you're on divine timing more than anything. And those are things that I always still have to continuously tell myself over and over. I'm like, yeah, the patience is where you really get the, 
that's where the real stuff happens. I'm finding like more and more like in the, in, in the, in between where you're like, Oh, that thing that I really want hasn't happened yet. But in the learning, the patience, you learn the trust and you learn to trust yourself and know that where you're going is, it is happening somewhere. Like you might not be able to see it yet, but the more you're like, I don't see it happening, the longer it's going to take to get there as Mm -hmm. well. Like if you just. Yeah, it's definitely like pushing it away without even realizing it. It's like, I want it so bad. And it's just like, we're not coming. You want us too bad. Yeah. The universe is like, oh, yeah, you're not ready yet. Yeah, not ready yet. Not ready yet. Yeah, which is the worst part. I definitely agree. Okay, so I want to get into um, the blacksmithing story and like alchemy and how you really were able to. Uh, make that a part of your journey and tie it into maybe not like your beliefs or anything, but I love tying spirituality and alchemy in together and like transmutation of energies. That's one of my favorite things, especially in energy work. So I kind of just want to pick your brain on that. Well, I was in New Orleans. I was at Jazz Fest and I was just walking around and in the like arts area and there was this old man and he was blacksmithing. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is amazing. And we started talking, and he told me about a school. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to that school. And I saved up the money and went up to um, North Carolina. And I was the only girl in this, like, it was like a, it's a folk school. Um, and I was I was the only girl in my class, like the very youngest person too. There were all these like old dudes in suspenders. (laughs) Overall, I'm like, (laughs) here I am. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's magic. You take, you know, you take something that's hard, you turn it into a liquid, you can uh, weld with it with your hammer um, and then turn it back into something hard. And it absolutely is, goes along with like, it was how I was able to process so much stuff. Um, just changing forms, you know, of something and having something that's just like this gray piece of steel and then you light it up and it turns into something that, like I was making flowers and like all these delicate shapes with it. And like, it was just amazing because there's force, but there's not like when you like forge welding, it's not force. You're not like beating it. You're just like smoothing the two pieces of metal together that you turned into glass in the, in the forge. And it's really, um, it's like the ease, right? There's no, if you smash it, it's going to explode and it's not going to work. But if you, you just kind of like tap it together and these two pieces of metal will just fuse and become one. And it's, it's fucking awesome. There's nothing like it. Um, and I just got addicted to it. And so from there, I, I think I went back to that. I took like three classes at that school, met an instructor there who didn't judge me for being a girl and was like, Um, really encouraged me to keep pursuing it. Um, I went to a school in Georgia. Then I went out to New Mexico for a while. Then I was back in New Orleans. I met this young guy at a party and 
he was talking about blacksmithing and he's like, oh yeah, I learned from this guy in Mexico. I'm like, that's amazing. I want to go to Mexico and learn blacksmithing. And he drew me a little map on a piece of cardboard and I like stuck it in my toolbox and held on to it. And then within a year, probably, I just was like, okay, I'm going there. And I took my atlas and I still have this little map on this piece of cardboard. And I drove all the way down to uh, Michoacan and outside of Potsporo, there's this little town in a copper mining. um, It's a copper mining town. And I went to like, I got into the town and I could find, I found like the first school, there's more than one. And I barely spoke any Spanish. I'm like showing him this little map on this piece of cardboard. I'm like, he was like, yeah, no, this isn't the place. And he like explains to me how to get there. And I show up and it's a, it's a folk school also where they, um, they teach people traditional copper smithing techniques and jewelry and making, but there's also a blacksmith shop where they make all the tools to uh, like, they make hammers and stuff for the copper smiths. So I just waltzed in there and I was like, I just drove from New Orleans. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> and uh, so I started learning from Don Shema and he taught me how to make hammers in like the traditional um the traditional way you use a horn like to temper the face of the hammer you use a goat horn to like cool it slowly and um we made only tools with him like i made uh fire tools like tongs and um hammers i made like three different hammers i stayed there for like a month and a half and then my spanish ran out i was like <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta go. I can only say like little kid things i'm like i need i want mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry yeah. um so i think i just needed to go home so i could like express myself a little bit better mm-hmm. um but it was amazing and after that uh i think i went to new mexico after that i did but then i had a child and the magic part of blacksmithing, I love, but I realized I wouldn't want to do it. I was like, you know, I had this idea I was going to become like a gate maker or, you know, make railings for people. And I just realized it's not, I don't love it enough to do that with it, like to make it my business. Um, and I haven't really done it in years. I briefly after Hurricane Katrina in Texas, I got back into it a little bit, but it has been a very long time that I've even like touched a hammer. All my hammers flooded in Hurricane Katrina and they still have rust on them. So one day when I'm have a space to like have a forge, I will again. And then it's, I'm really excited to do it again, but. Okay. Let's talk about Hurricane Katrina. Your hammers (laughs) were flooded as in you evacuated and your stuff got flooded or you. we stayed. We rode out the storm. Um, we were in Wisconsin. My father had passed away a few years ago. And so we were in Wisconsin cleaning out his house. And um, we didn't have a TV. We didn't have, like, weren't listening to the radio. Drove back to New Orleans um, without knowing, you know, that there was this giant storm on the way. And I had never lived in New Orleans in the summer. I had never experienced a hurricane. And um, 
by Friday, like the Friday before Katrina, people started calling me. I got back, I think, on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I hadn't even put my collars back on my dogs yet because we'd been out on like 80 acres. And people are like, are you leaving? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I just got home. Why would I leave? And by Saturday, they were like, you need to get the hell out of there. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I ended up getting food poisoning. And my child, I was with my daughter's father at that time. And he was on the, um, my family stayed. They wrote out Betsy. Like, we never leave for hurricanes. That's just not what we do. So we're not, I'm not leaving. Like, I'm staying. And I had, I was sick. I had two dogs. I had a nine-month-old. And I just was like, okay, I guess we're all staying then. (laughs) We were really lucky that we were in, we were blessed, not even lucky, that we were in a neighborhood that um, only flooded up to our doorstep. Like, I had been there for months looking for places. So I was able to go to, like, later on, you know, drive around and see all the apartments I looked at and all the houses where I almost moved into and like check the water line and be like damn we would have been like 12 feet under there mm-hmm. it was that was really shocking um but yeah we were in a neighborhood where we were just high enough up that our house like barely flooded it just started to come in but all that happened after the storm like after the yeah. storm like still see the streets like when the levee broke the water started to rise, but it was very slow. Like we watched it all day, just like come up throughout the day until it reached to the top of the steps. And then we stayed for a few days. Um, We stayed in our house then we stayed in a school up the street because we weren't sure if the water was going to keep rising Mm -hmm. and then um, went back to our house and then heard that there was a hospital that was evacuating. And so we, walked through chest high water and got over to this like dry spot of land by the post office. And it was crazy. There was like anthills that had flooded, but then they just like stayed, all the ants stayed together. So there was like these floating islands of red ants. And then there was like a floating road of ants going all the way to the post office where they were then like crawling up the post office to get out of the water. It was insane. Um, were they the fire ants? Or were they just, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, they were fire ants. That's terrifying. It was amazing. It was crazy. Well, they were so resilient. They are like, oh, we'll use each other. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. They were like running across the top of each other to get out of the water. As soon as you said we stayed the- there all, sorry. No, I was just going to comment. As soon as you said the chest high water, like my whole body just freaked out and scared little goosebumps because yeah you're like carrying your child right like my grandmother had given me a um my grand my grandmother gave me a blow-up rubber ducky baby bath that um somebody had walked past our house he was taking his daughter to the hospital because she had drank like lamp fluid during the storm they had also like rode it out and um 
he had her on top of like a gas can. He was floating her out up above the water. So I gave him the rubber ducky, but then I also had like a Ikea baby bath. Go Ikea. <laughs> so that's what I floated her in. She okay. was never in the water. And yeah, we just like walked alongside and pushed her like a little baby Moses. Um, it was very scary though. I remember I was wearing like white tennis shoes and I could barely see my tennis shoes under the water and you just had to be like, yeah, I'm going to get out of this. Like not think about the snakes or the gators or <laughs> whatever yeah. else. Well, might I, be coming for you. I know I know media obviously like makes everything ten times worse, but I really do think that they did a good job covering the devastation and destruction of it for people that obviously weren't there. And I remember oh God. So I remember obviously thinking right like snakes and gators, like in the water, all the people in the flood water. But then the thing that just literally broke my heart was all when they started pulling all the dead bodies out of the water or they were interviewing people and they were like, I was walking through the water and I stepped on something and it was a dead body. And I was just like, I could not fathom being in that situation at all. And I, I, when I was there, you would find people that would still talk about how New Orleans was obviously different after it happened. And um, there were a lot of the buildings that they didn't necessarily repaint the floodlines because it was like their mark of honor. You know, and um, I think it was the Superdome, which is or where a lot of media coverage happened for forever, right? Um, and I remember seeing that in person and just having the media flashbacks and just being like, I can't believe, I can't believe this happened, right? You kind of just get like the 9-11 flashback fears, like where were you when Katrina hit, right? And then um, there was a part down I can't remember where it was but it, a lot of like tarot readers and oracle readers and a lot of homeless people used to like flood this whole place it was like a free market basically for people to go sell stuff and there was this huge beautiful huge white building and there was this gate in there and this boat had floated into the gate from the floodwaters and then the floodwaters went out and the boat is stuck in there and I'm pretty sure to this day that they just left the boat in there because like this is what the floodwaters did. This is what happened. And this guy, I think his name's Jack Whittleton. He's like an entrepreneur of living on the streets, eating out of dumpsters and finding random clothes and um, making street art. So he started taking a bunch of scrap metal and wood and he um, made art projects out of it. So when we went up and met him, he's like, yes, this is actually... Um, metals from the Katrina floodwaters that I decided to transmute into positive art. He's like, we lost a lot of good people. He's like, this whole place used to be filled. He's like, we, we just, we lost him and we haven't really built anything back. And then he's like, if you want to go see the neighborhoods that didn't make it, he's like, you're going to see the red line and you're going to see the number um, the X's on the door, you'll see the, the FEMA trailers and all of that. And he's like, he's like, I really think it'll put you in perspective just how it decimated uh, a whole culture. So we were lucky enough to be able to have somebody, 
um, take us to see the houses. And he's like, the red houses mean like, well, you're, you're never going to build here again. They lost everything and they probably, you know, lost family members. And again, the most haunting part of it was the marking on the house where you could see how high the floodwaters are. Because I'm supremely empathic. So if I see anything like that, I immediately put myself in the situation and be like, what would I do? And I couldn't imagine climbing up on the roof, getting stuck in an attic, like 20, 20, 30 foot surge coming in and you're like in your house and there's water everywhere. I don't go in water usually. Even if I'm in a pool, I kind of get in and I get out and I do not get in water that I can't see in. I was raised in the country. I've done a lot of water stuff. It's just not my thing. I'm also a really big fan of sharks. So I just don't want to be food, you know? Like I'll go, I'll put my ankles in the ocean and be like, that was cute. And again, like this has evolved over time where I, like I used to love swimming and doing all that. And now I'm like, I know Mother Nature's power. Like, I almost drowned in the Mississippi in my early 20s and thank God survived. But I, like, I understand it and I'm good. I think it's pretty. So then you have these things where you're forced to be in that element and then you going back to the gators and the snakes and I would, literally, I would just, like, freeze in fear. But you can't because you have your kid and you have to get out of there. So again, like, didn't even know that that was an experience we were going to talk about, but... Um, just as obviously an outside observer coming in and seeing the devastation years after, there is still like a haunting film over New Orleans for obviously the people that experience, but people like me who are just watching helplessly on the news, like what can we do to help these people? Like, you know, it comes, it's, it really pulls humanity together when you're like, oh my God, I couldn't imagine if that were me. I wouldn't want to be left high and dry, right? And I was the, I was still a kid at that time. And anytime like a hurricane like that happens and there's just devastation all around, I call my dad all the time and I'm like, we should load up a trailer and we should drive there and we should help with flood relief. Like we, we should go do that. Cause again, we used to live on the Mississippi. So we had two almost levee breaks um, in my early twenties. And I spent a couple weekends sandbagging the levees because if this levee would have broke, it would have wiped out um, a really big portion of like my not necessarily my family, but my friend's families, which that kind of is your family. It would have wiped out like their farms, their crops, their houses. So like the neighborhoods and every, all the locals would band together with the local prison camps and we would all go sandbag um, on whatever part of the levee. Looking back now, I want to point this out. So um, we had a Kawasaki mule, it was a six seater that we loaded up with hundreds of pounds of sand. And the hole in the levee was probably a mile down. And I'm driving this 1,000-pound Kawasaki mule with a prisoner from the prison camp who's super nice, kind of looks like Eminem. And, um, like, I here's a huge levee down if I made a wrong turn. And then right next to me is the water. And the levee is, like, here, right? And then the water is here. Like when a wave came up, it would hit the levee and it would go over. And I like at the time I was like, this is exhilarating. Like I'm, we're going to save this levee. Our family's land is going to be saved. Um, I'm going to mess with my dad and tell him I fell in love with this prisoner. This is awesome. (laughs) And then um, in hindsight, like a couple years later, when I don't have the youthful immortality feel, I go, what the fuck was I thinking? I'm like, literally all of right. that weight pushing on that levee, that levee could have broke with me on it. 
And I could have just, it's the Mississippi, like, yeah, just literally. But I, that wasn't even there. You were in such a, we have to save the levee mode that we would go there. We would unload it. And we did it for like two weekends back to back. Then we did another place in Quincy, Illinois. Like there were always places that you could go and help and do it. So luckily nothing ever happened, but um, yeah, again, anytime something like that happens, I always just want to load up a trailer and be like, how can we assist you? Because if something like this devastating happened to me, I would want strangers to come help me. Like I, I would need some help. So I just, I want to do that. And it really pisses me off when people leave their animals behind. And then all you see on the news is like, fucking dogs everywhere and then like there's rescue missions for dogs i'm like this pisses me off so bad like why would you leave an animal behind that is just i did <laughs> i left my oh. dog oh i had two of them and it, it did was, you uh, them up? don't do that at least like give them a chance right yeah well i left them in the house they had food and water and um I knew they would suffer because it was so hot, but I couldn't get them out. Like it was the, my daughter or the dogs. And I was already like, that makes sense. Getting space on like a hospital. It was a military rescue operation, evacuating a hospital where they had left the old people. And right. yeah. they were just, you know, people that couldn't move were just abandoned in this hospital. So they were pulling them out of the hospital. We were loading them onto this helicopter and then, after doing that with these people all day, like, I got to get my daughter out of here, you know? And so they were going to give us a ride, but there was, I couldn't get my dogs with them. So I did leave my dogs. And that makes I, sense. I mean, the people that- It does, but it was up. still awful. It was yeah. one of the like worst decisions I've ever made. And I ended up, one of them ended up in Georgia um, with a Pfizer executive and- the life of a queen <laughs> like I found her afterwards and um the other dog who I'd had for 12 years she helped me the one the Pfizer woman helped me find him and I found him six months later on my birthday she called me she's like we've got him he's in Michigan and he was in Grand Rapids Michigan they, they flew me and my daughter up there and then they flew us back to Texas on a private jet because my dog was so amazing. <laughs> they just wanted him to really have the VIP experience. That's amazing. So it ended well, but it was, it was terrible. Yeah. The, cause I don't want you to think I'm judging you for like leaving your dog. No, I mean, talking but you're about in that space. You're just like their dog up and like, don't even give him a freaking chance. Yeah. I was imagining that Texas I would be able one. to leave and come back within like a week. Mm -hmm. But in that time period, somebody, a friend of a friend had gone down there to rescue dogs and was like, oh, what's your address? I will get your dogs. I'll bring them out. They'll be safe. They went and uh, kicked my door in. And then something happened and I got a phone call from them and they're like, what are we like in the middle of the night? They're like, we're leaving. They're killing dogs and we don't want any part of this. This isn't what we came here for. Oh my what God. What do you do with your dogs? And they left my dogs. And so the dogs got out of the apartment. Like we were able to go back a week after that and they still would have been miserable, but they would have been fine. They had a bathtub full of water and they had like a huge amount of food, but they had, my door Who was runs around killing dogs? I guess because, well, before 
prior to Katrina, there were packs of dogs. There were like packs of 10, 12 dogs that would be like wild dogs in oh, the city. Okay. That makes I don't sense. know whose dogs they were euthanizing, but they were, there was a lot of stray dogs down there. And that makes more sense than like, like, hey, we're just killing everybody's pets that got left behind. Yeah, I don't think so. They were, I, and I don't, I never even ever talked to that person after that happened. So I never got like their side of the story, but I imagine there were a lot of animals to deal with. Mm. Yeah, I always see the animal rescues, and even though obviously my heart goes out to the humans, I'm still like, maybe I'll just go and hang out with an animal rescue. But then I was like, okay, let's think about it. I I want to go help, but I don't think I'm going to get on a boat in flood water with all of, you know, like gators, snakes, sharks. Am I really... Am I really an asset to the rescue? Vanities. Yeah, right. Or do I really just maybe want to wait when they bring the dogs back and then like I'll cuddle with the dogs or I'll transport the dogs? Like I really had to like put it in perspective because when you see that stuff, I don't watch the news anymore. But when I used to, you know, see all of that devastation, I was like, oh, those dogs. And I remember the huge animal efforts to fly them out and I mean, all the rescue stories, just like what you said with one of your dogs, like it's just like, hey, yeah, we actually rescued this dog from Katrina. I wasn't in a place in my life where I could rescue another dog. Um, But I remember I'm like, I I don't know why I I feel so noble, but I would do anything to get a rescue dog from Katrina right now and be like, hey, it doesn't flood here like ever. You, (laughs) You picked a primo spot in the Midwest, my friend. We get flash floods randomly and that's... It's nothing. It clears up instantly. So. Yeah. The dog that ended up, Ruben, the one that ended up in Michigan, because um, Rita hit right afterwards. So they'd been moved to Mississippi, and they were at a sanctuary. Then Rita was coming. So they had to evacuate all the dogs that they'd just evacuated. So this rescue sanctuary in Michigan drove down and picked up, I don't know, 50 dogs maybe. Mm-hmm. Um Ruben was one of the first ones that they grabbed, and he became their mascot. He's very special. (laughs) He was, like, in their parade. (laughs) And, yeah, he was really something. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. They moved him one place, and then a couple weeks later, it's like, pack everybody up. There's another storm coming. Yeah, that's terrifying. So... Obviously, with the devastation in Katrina, I mean, I know you said you were still with your daughter's father at the time, but how did your life transition after Katrina? Like, did it inspire you to obviously get the hell out of there? Did you stay a little bit longer? Like, where does your story... Well, we stayed for a few days, and then we were helicoptered out. We ended up in Austin, Texas, and there wasn't, at that point, there wasn't really a choice. I mean, I guess if I would have really done some finagling, but... New Orleans was super moldy. Like we went back and got some of our stuff out of the apartment and it was just, it was horrible. It was so moldy. It was like the saddest thing you'd ever seen. There was destruction everywhere. So we stayed in Austin for a year. um, And it was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through just emotionally. Like um, I think seeing firsthand what happened to people and not that you could understand what was going on outside like then when I was in the middle of all of the stuff in New Orleans it's not like I knew what was going on elsewhere in the city but once I got out and I could see the news it was just like so much to uh 
to witness, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was really dealing with a lot of like depression and dealing with my daughter's father being really depressed and just like, it was just really emotionally difficult to manage. And um, that's when I started doing yoga. I got my teacher training certificate then. And it was, it was like that, or I don't know what was going to happen. It was, it was my form of therapy, I guess. Um, And I was able to like work through some of these, like just all that emotion and, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I guess that's just how I dealt with it. Like rather than getting, you know, outside therapy or talk to a counselor, I just went and like learned deeper spiritual truths and learned how to move the energy through my body. And I'd had prior yoga experience, but that was really, uh, it saved me. And I still ended up going back to New Orleans because there was, I had to like reconcile with that grief. I had to go back and turn it into something better than it was. I couldn't have just left it and been like, Oh, I'm done that, you know, even though I knew that more storms would come, I even wrote out storms after that. I'm like, um, I, cause once you do, and like, that was such a big storm, little like category two or three, you're like, I'm not leaving. (laughs) I'm just here. I'm going to deal with it because this is, it's much easier to actually deal with it right then and there than leave and have to come back and um, deal with what the storm, the havoc that has been wreaked. But um, yeah, so I kind of just went back to like heal that part of myself, I think. Um, And to finish that part of my story with that city, um, it taught me so much. And then at a certain point, I just was at capacity with it. My daughter was like nine. I'd gone through multiple different school systems and could never find one that I was really happy with. And I just was ready to go. And New what York did was... What you like about the school systems that you kept running into troubles with? Um... My daughter's mixed, so it was just a lot of uh, interracial politics that always kept cropping up. And I wasn't educated in a public school, so to so I attempted multiple private schools, and it nothing just made me feel like she was getting the quality of education that she deserved. Not to say that that happened when we got up here, um, but what she did get was the outside environment education that, you know, the things that she's learned since moving up here, independence and being able to move around the city and be in touch with like vast diversity um, have been worth it. I wouldn't say that the public school system is. (laughs) We're not, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) No, I don't blame you at all. I have a three-year-old and I'm uh, terrified to get her to start it in the school system just with what I've seen with my friends that are obviously before me with their kids in the school system. And um, they they say it as nicely as they possibly can, but they're like, with the way that you are and the beliefs that you have, um, it might be harder for you to swallow um, the way that they do um, public school now. Um, we're not in a position to do private school nor do I want my child to go to a private school. I went to public school. I was fine. 
Um, I believe there's a lot of conditioning that I was able to see through and go through myself. So I do believe as far as like you can, you know, label a lot, a lot of it like an indoctrination program. Um, I made it out. So as much as I want to protect her and give her a voice, um, I know that there's things that I'm going to be against that she is going to have to go through. And um, I'm just going to be there as her advocate and supporter the best I can. Um, right now, we will live here until she starts school. And then we're looking to move into, we have two options of really good school districts in our area that we're actually planning on moving to because like I have done my research on their curriculum and even like their culture and their open-mindedness, um, especially with the movement of, you know, trans kids and other forms of sexuality and any any new things coming in that are really ruffling the old paradigm's feathers. Um, I, I have found two school districts that are supremely inclusive and um, I want to move towards them because I don't, I don't want my child to be as sheltered as I was. I didn't realize how sheltered I was until I actually got out into the world. And then like I went back home to visit people and I was like, oh, y'all don't even know what's out there, do you? Okay, okay. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'm a big teach their own person, right? Like, let me know what you want to be called. If, you know, you like girls, I think that's awesome. If you like boys, that's awesome. If you like both, fucking cool for you, right? You know, do no harm. And, uh, you know, we're all cool. So um, right now, the school system in our area, I don't personally know how it is, but I've talked to people and they're like, you do not want your child in this specific one. And not, it's not like the younger schools. It's like when she would get into like middle school and high school. They're like, you don't, you don't want that. There's kind of too much riffraff where you are. And it's one of the like oldest high schools here, yada, yada. But I've driven by it randomly. And I'm like, I'm terrified as a 31 year old woman. Like, can you imagine like having to go back to school, right? Just walking in. I'm like, they all look like bullies. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, I kind of want to get her like that mix of like the small town feel, but she has like the city culture. So I'm trying to find that mix. I grew up in a small town, so raising my kid in a city, I'm like, I didn't really think about it before I had kids, but now I have kids. I'm like, well, I died in a small town for culture. Like I was always just like pushing the envelope because I just wanted to know more. So I've always wanted to gift her that for her life's journey. I, if you want to go to a concert, they're playing two blocks away, not four hours away. You know, if you want to fly somewhere, we can take an Uber to an airport. I didn't grow up like that. I think the first time I walked in to like a huge department store outside of like a Walmart or something like that, I was in my early 20s. And I'm like, <laughs> pe people grow up next to Target? There's a middle ground. <laughs> yeah, you know, so there, there's definitely a balance in it that I want, but I, I do fear the school systems because I have seen a lot of parents losing um, control of what their kids are consuming outside of the house. And I think out of any parent, will be fine. I mean, you can't anyway, that's the thing is yeah. you can't, you can't control it no matter what, like it doesn't, even if they were in a private school, you still can't control what they come exactly. across. So you just have to educate them because I don't know that public, I, I don't know if it is education. <laughs> it is more of just like training. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like um, there are there are bright spots. You know, there are definitely teachers that really want to teach and really get excited about it. And 
offer more than, you know, the parameters of what they're supposed to. I, but I don't, there's so much you can offer your children outside of the school that you just sort of have to try to balance it out, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, especially with, like, the Internet age, she, she'll have anything at her fingertips, whatever she wants to learn. And then she'll just have to differentiate between like truth and a lie and all that fun stuff. But yeah, like I said, I mean, we all have to go through it. Yes, we all have to go through it. Okay, so did you say that you you did get a fashion design as well? And like, where does that fit into your story? Mm -hmm. And what inspired you to study that as well? Well, that um, fashion was always like my that was like my childhood dream. I was all, I'm going to be a fashion designer when I grow up. And I would, you know, like, I just remember, like, standing out in the cornfield in the middle of the night, like, looking up at the stars and being like, one day, one day I'm going to make it, you know, to, like, New York City. I'm going to be, you know, and I'm going to make beautiful clothes for people. So when I started hanging out on the street, you know, that was very anti-materialism, very anti-capitalism. And that dream didn't really uh, mesh with that world much. So I really put it away. And uh, blacksmithing and mechanics was much tougher and it was like um, much more acceptable in that uh, genre of my life, right? That genre of people. And so I pursued those things because they felt tougher and stronger to me and I just kind of kept the fashion design thing in the background. When I was in Austin after Katrina, I I felt like Katrina was like, um, it was like a rebirth experience, right? Like I went back, I remember feeling like I was like 17 again, even though I was, you know, 25, 26 when it happened. Um, it was just like, holy shit, I'm 17 again. I'm starting from zero again. I'd lost everything, like, um, and I just, then I was able to like access that part of myself again. And I was like, I remember I went and bought like a sketch pad and a set of colored pencils. And I'm like, okay, this is always something that I really loved and I'm going to pursue this. So I went back to New Orleans, worked and saved up money and ended up going to Dallas, Texas of all places to um, study fashion design. And again, just showed up there, had no idea where I was going to go to school. I had made some friends in New Orleans um, through a church that I was going to. And one of the mothers in the church was like, oh, my son is a fashion designer. He lives in Dallas. Here's his number. You know, call him up. He'll help you out. So when I got out there, he's like, okay, well, here's all the schools. And he gave me a rundown of each of them, sort of what he learned of the industry out there. And so I ended up going to the community college out there and pursuing a fashion design degree. And I didn't do it so much to have the degree or to work in like corporate fashion. I just wanted to learn how to sew and learn from the inside out how to make a garment and like from the sketch to the finished product. And there they really, really taught me that because that school was, it taught um, all the tradespeople for, because Dallas used to be a huge fashion center. So manufacturing, you know, fashion center. So this is where they trained everybody to be able to make all these garments. So I got this like incredible education on 
construction. And then I, you know, and it's very similar to blacksmithing. Like the way that I approached it was like, I would take scrap fabric and manipulate it into something new. Like, um, I met a designer out there and he'd be like, Oh, go through my rag pile. And so I would just like go through and find bits of fabric that I loved and then like change them into something completely different. And I was obsessed with hand sewing too much to the like (laughs) chagrin of my instructors. I'd be like, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm like hand sewing away. Um, (laughs) But that it was really like therapeutic to me. It was how I processed stuff. It was like how I was processing a lot of like unprocessed grief and emotions. Like, Like was telling these stories through the fabric and it was very much like blacksmithing to me, like the way that you take something that looks like this and then you transmute it into something else. And so I, I stuck with fashion in a, I always wanted to do it my way. So I wasn't into like going to work in a corporate, um, I had opportunities to, but I just, I wasn't, I wasn't into the waste. I wasn't into the like, there's so many problems with it, the slave labor, just the like, it's so wasteful. It's like the second most wasteful industry in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I had all these conflicts with it. The more I learned about it, the more conflicted I was about it. And so I kept just trying to do it in like a a way that aligned with myself still. I went back to New Orleans and I was making, um, like just doing hand sewing, working for someone making Mardi Gras, like ball outfits and came up here and really just did it for myself um, and worked in the restaurant industry, like got into hospitality up here because it was a way to survive. And I would be like, oh, I'm a fashion designer on the side. And then I had an opportunity to, um, to make a piece and it was sort of like the end of, um, first I got an opportunity to work with an amazing human being and help him create his collection. And that was like, that was doing exactly what I love because we just got to play off of each other's creativity. And um, that's a whole nother thing. I don't want to talk about that part yet because it's a lot, but then I ended up making this piece and it was a really rough experience. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it was just like brutal on so many different levels. And at the end of it, one of the people that I had been working with was like yelling at me and screaming at me and being like, if you don't, you know, if you can't handle being screamed at, you're not going to make it in the industry. And I'm like, why the fuck would I want to do that? Like, why would I want to be screamed at? Like, why would I want to like torture myself to create something that is just going to be worn one time and like discarded most likely. Right. And so I just was like, that's not my dream anymore. And then I was like, well, what the fuck, what do I do now? You know, like I had to start again from like scratch. And that was, that was uh, the August before last. And I really was at a loss and I had just like, Um, I don't know. I was just at a loss emotionally too. Like, I think that was my point of like, I wouldn't say rock bottom, but it was just like, none of the shit that I thought was working is working. And from there is where I found 
It's like I need because I'd always had this empathetic like thing where people would bring their stuff to me constantly, like, and I would help them through it. And but I never understood how to really help them. So I would just end up like giving them all this energy and becoming completely depleted by it. And then I was like, I have to know more about this. Like, if this is something that keeps recurring in my life, there's a purpose for it, right? There's a reason for it. But I need to know the mechanics behind it. And that's how I found coaching and NLP and started to learn about that and learn tools to actually help people get through stuff instead of just being like, oh, I understand. I'm with you. Like, you know, that helps. But there's no... um that's just talking, right? You're not actually helping them change anything on the subconscious level. So that's sort of how that all happened. <laughs> I, I think it's a great segue because I was just getting ready to talk to you about what you're doing now, which is you just got a master's in NLP practitioner. Was that right? Yeah. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, NLP, master NLP practitioner, yes. And then I'm at the very end of my life coaching certificate and um will then start doing hypnosis also which i've just been like mm. okay i have to do these things like i can't do them all at once because i'm just overloading the brain then because on the side i still have to do all the magic stuff that i'm into and like mm-hmm. weave all that together but the more that i learn about nlp the more i learn about um how magical it is like and how it ties it how it all like ties in together it's pretty awesome I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, so if I came to you and I was like, Hey, I want you to be my life coach. And you're like, okay, well I use, I have a, a bag of tools that I'm going to use with you. Not only my life experience, my empathic tendencies, but also like I'm an NLP practitioner. Cause I know your description was like, it's really not for like the faint of heart, but you will get this transformation out of working with me. So um, for one, like if I truly was to come and work with you, I actually would be a little scared based on your description because of how deep you're actually going to take me into myself. Cause like I've, I've found parts myself where I'm like, I think I need assistance here and I don't want behavioral therapy. I do want uh, subconscious reprogramming. I do want a hypnotist and I do want integration tools after you dive me so deep into myself. Like how do I actually come out and operate in the 3D world after you've shown me a part of my soul I wasn't able to navigate to by myself? But from using NLP, and not from a suggestive selling standpoint that we talked about before we hit record, <laughs> but um, how do you use it properly for subconscious programming to actually help people like learn new habits? Is it more about um, like reprogramming neural plasticity and bringing awareness to habits you didn't know you had? Yeah, making the unconscious conscious and then giving flexibility instead of we all have like one way we're going to react to something because that's how we were programmed, right? So we'll just be like, oh, and we associate, you know, right now with something that that actually happened a long time ago. We have no differentiation between the two on a like subconscious nervous system level. So when you start to introduce flexibility of feeling with people then you can really go anywhere and like i'm never gonna take anywhere any anybody anywhere they don't want to go like i'm not the leader of anything 
the person who's with me, you know, the person I'm working with, they're the ones that are going to lead me to where they want to work. Um, I could maybe like they, what the first thing that we learn is come with a beginner's mind. Like you never know where this person is going to go. You never know what is behind what they're telling, you know, most of the time, you know, because based on, you know, what we've learned, you know, that they're going to come to you with a problem that they perceive as a problem that's happening now. And you know, that there's a lot of stuff behind that years, but you don't know what it is. And so my job is just to be there, right. And let the person show me where they want to go. And then I can use tools and the things that I've learned and my own experience to just help them see things from a new perspective. And then they have these like, oh, I never thought about it this way. You know, all these transformations start happening because that's what they want to happen. Like I'm not there to force anybody to do anything that they're not ready for or be like, oh, well, like you, you know, I know that that is like something that happened when you were five, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not up to me. It's up to the person to reveal that to me. And then I'm just ready for it. And I'm, you know, like a, a trusting like mirror, you know, like I always try to see myself as I see you in the highest light. Like I see you in your fullest potential. And that's what I'm here to mirror to you is your potential, your possibilities, but you're going to show me how to get there. You're going to show me the way you want to get there. And that way everybody stays comfortable. Everybody stays safe. You know, like <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to push anybody out of their comfort zone. They're going to do that for themselves. Like I'm just there to create the space for them to do that and to let them know, know that like, you know, I see them and I've been through similar things. You know, a lot of times you're going to attract the people that need your medicine. They need your experiences. And that's just my biggest hope. It's like that. That's what I get is people that need what I have to offer. And if they don't, they're probably going to go somewhere else. You know, if I don't have the right thing, they're going to, they're going to get their healing some other way. I'm just here to like guide the people that match with my, my energetic, you know, frequency, I guess, is how it works. <laughs> oh, you're speaking my language for sure. Vibration, frequencies, mirrors, understanding, hypnotism. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, I love it all. I do think, um, I mean, there's a lot of, like, life coach is a very broad term, and you can get anybody on the spectrum like wanting to be a life coach. But I always thought that the best examples of them were, were the people that had very deep trials and tribulations. Like they've really been through the muck. They've really experienced life. Life just, I mean, your whole story, like if I had to work with a life coach, I would have chose you literally off the paragraph that you sent me, like basically your, your biography. Because not only have you traveled so much, but you've experienced so much. And the way that you've chosen to heal from it is a lot of the same path that I have chosen to heal, which is through yoga and learning and diving deep into myself. And then like finding a part where I'm like, I, I, I actually need assistance. Like vulnerability and asking for help are two of the major things that I knew I was really rough around the edges about. And I knew that I was over-masculated a lot of the time and really like hid that feminine part of me away. So 
I was like, it's a strength to, to know that you have to ask for help here. And um, I have this thing where I call it my Costa Rica bag because we're, we're doing a trip to Costa Rica in the next couple of years where we're going to like film all of it. And we're going to like, you know, make sure everybody can get signed off by a doctor, right? And to make sure they're healthy enough to go and of sound mind, right? We don't just want to amateur trip and put everybody in jeopardy of anything, but we want to go and work with the Shipibo tribe in Costa Rica. They're the longest standing tribe to work with plant medicine. So they have a really good relationship with the mother. And um, I've gotten advice for years on people that have done retreats. I know that there's retreats you can do in the United States, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to like do it right. You know, I don't, I don't need the off-brand version of it in the United States. I want to go where it grows. I want to go collect it in the forest, eat clean yoga, like all of that stuff. So like the next couple years are me really clearing out my vessel and my body and getting myself even up to a state where I feel like I'm ready to meet the plant. And, um, I have stuff that I come up in my healing and in my journaling and I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I have this person for this. I have this person for this. And then I'm like, Oh no, that goes in the Costa Rica bag. Like we're going to, we're going to go puke that out or shit that out in the jungle or something. Like we're going to go <laughs> figure this out, but this is, this will not be healed in the United States. And I give myself a lot of grace for it. Cause there's like pitfalls in the healing journey where like you're constantly just in a, a cycle of healing where you're like, I'm shedding, I'm healing, I'm shedding, I'm healing, I'm healed, I'm great. Oh no, another thing comes up. And it kind of gets exhausting to just focus on that aspect of it. You can miss a lot doing that. So I give myself a lot of grace when I compartmentalize like, okay, like this is a really big process. Like I call it like the root chakra thing for me. I was like this root chakra healing I mean, my goal is definitely to like build that, like that sturdy foundation, right? Of those lower energy centers. So just keep doing it and keep working through it. But there are some things where I'm like, today I have lava in my uterus and it's okay. I'm not going to go give it to anybody, but I understand that, you know, things, things are coming up, things are being purged, um, that I didn't know were still affecting me. And yeah, I mean, I guess I could go to a hypnotist, but that's actually for Costa Rica. But on the subject of hypnotism, do you know Dolores Cannon's work, QHHT says yeah. Okay, so I love that you know it. Um, one of my favorites, I've had um, a shorter experience of it, but in January, I'm getting ready to do a six-hour session, and I am like, <laughs> like, more excited for it than going home to Christmas with my family. No offense to my family, but this is we won't tell them. Yeah, like sorry, sorry, mom. You know I love you know I love to come see you, but like I have been dying to go under hypnotism for or being hypnotized for like six hours and like you know really addressing wow. things with my subconscious. So I even messaged her yesterday and I was like. Like, what type of questions should I be asking? Like, I have an idea of what I want to ask, but, like, how many should I ask? Like, you know, because every practitioner is different. And she's like, oh, you want to do, like, one to two pages. She's like, we're all hooked up to the source. She goes, so you can ask them any questions you want about yourself, about the world, about everything. And I was like, it. Ju- I was just like, I didn't even think about, like, asking all of those questions. Like, Oh, I'm so excited. Um, and we're actually 
um, doing video and audio, and I'm going to release it, hopefully, after I listen to it, right? Like, I'm not, like, a hun- I'm not 100% sold on releasing it yet because I have to see what actually comes out. But right. I, love, I love watching um, hypnotism videos. Um, there was another uh, therapist that I'll actually release on the season two, and he hypnotized a woman. And he was like, where are you right now? And she's like, I'm in Egypt. And he's like, interesting. Tell me about this. And he didn't know Dolores Cannon's work. So I said, I said, hey, if you're hypnotizing people and their subconscious is taking them to like a past life or somewhere, because a lot of it, just like you said, it's where you need to go. Like you're not, you're not driving. You're just holding a massive amount of space. Um, I was like, you should probably look into Dolores Cannon. And I said, I know there's other people that go off and do that type of work. I said, but she was really like the front runner of it when everybody thought that studying theta brainwave states was just pseudoscience and poppycock. So um, I'm so glad that you know her work, though, because I really feel with all the experience that you have and the open mindedness that you have that you're going to hear and see some trippy stuff with your clients. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing. Um, It's amazing. Like, just it's an amazing experience to just watch people. I like to think of it as like an onion, you know, you just like peel away the layers of conditioning you're like oh I've picked this up I've picked I have that belief but none of that stuff really belongs to us like within all of that is who we really are and that's the most awesome thing when you see somebody just access their like their real person their true self that like doesn't have all that stuff put on them it's beautiful it's so 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 true and I mean it is hard, right? Because, you know, whether you've picked it up, like you said, your family gifted it to you, or you feel like you have to fit in to be able to have those beliefs. Because there's a lot of loneliness in growth. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Well, and society doesn't, um, you know, we're, I think naturally we're like herd animals or we're group-minded. We want to belong. Um, and society is not encouraging us to have our own, you know, be in touch with our own magic at all um so you have to be brave and it is hard but isn't everything that's like worth it it's it's all worth like it's worth the struggle because if it came easy it would just be like like that's the thing with like using medicines to get from one place to the other you sort of miss like you can get there and your mind is like you know you're wide open, you're downloading all this information, you see all these truths, but you don't necessarily have a foundation to keep, to go back and be like, okay, this is like where I need to peel away this layer. It just kind of takes you from point A to point, you know, Z, like without having this, like the NLP is more of like, you can get to these same places through meditation, through yoga through sitting with yourself you can get to that like wide open space where stuff just comes in and you're downloading from the universe right but if you do it in this way that isn't um quite as quick right you have more of a there's this it's different i guess i mean i've done both like (laughs) i've definitely opened my mind up to the ethers and been like 
oh yeah, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. But being able to do that by myself, just through breath work or just through sitting there is, it's very amazing. Um, not that one is worse than the other, right? They're both valuable and they're both um, super useful, I think. And I think sometimes with some with people that have been so conditioned, sometimes you do need to just bypass all the like, all the work that it takes to get there and just be like, oh, this is how I can feel. Because a lot of times when people don't understand NLP and they don't understand yoga or they haven't gone through things that will bring them to that state of bliss, they don't even understand that it exists. Like there's so much on them that they can't get through. They don't have the imagination or like the the access to it. So if you can like get somebody there through, you know, a, a substance, they can access that bliss. And then you can like work them back to that point. So I see how that is like very useful in healing work just to take somebody to show them the possibility of what is available to them. Whereas somebody that's never stepped out of themselves like that can't even really fathom that that's possible. Right. They're like, Oh, you mean I can like peel away the layers and suddenly I'm connected to the universe and I feel mm-hmm. fucking amazing. Or like, uh-uh. <laughs> that shit's not real. Like you're just making shit up. Right. But medicine, plant medicine stuff will show you that, yeah, that's right there. Like, it's just a thought away, right? It's just like a little bit outside of ourselves that it exists. So, you gave I don't know where that... You gave a segue into a story I was going into right when you talk about it. Because I told you I just love, like, going back and forth. I was like, oh, you just made me think of this. Um, okay, so the part where you said a um, couple things. God, I hope I remember him. One... The point of the show, besides, you know, introducing everybody to everyone is like, whatever healing modality you choose and you work with, that's for you, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, if you don't do yoga, if you don't meditate, if you don't believe in plant medicine, if you don't believe in hypnotherapy, you're fucked. You're doing it all wrong. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I do like to poke the bear. It's certain experiences that I've had with Western medicine and even certain stories about like behavioral therapy that I feel like my friends were kind of like trapping themselves into consciously believing they're okay. But I'm like, Mm -hmm. subconsciously, you're still fuck, figure it out and kind of go that way. But other than that, Mm -hmm. like, I think all healing modalities are valid. Um, So I love, I love that you're like, hey, you know, if you want to take it step by step and peel the onion, let's do that. But you're absolutely right. There are so many things like some people just need like the veil just rip the fuck off, right? And as soon as you said that, I got a story from my younger youth where um, I uh, I was supremely depressed. I didn't want to go to like Western medicine to get it fixed. I was always a really big run in the woods nature person. Like I said, I grew up on a farm and in a small town. So like, that's what you did. You went and touched the trees, walked barefoot, put your feet in the creek, you know, blessings on blessings. We also had animals and we raised, we raised beagle puppies on our farm. You imagine showing up on your farm and you'd have like two litters of beagle puppies and you just lay on the ground and they're like, we love you so much. (laughs) Like, I mean, I truly, like I grew up with mother earth. So I understood a lot of my path was just unpeeling the layers and going back to who I was before the world got me. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And I, I had a tremendous amount of heartbreak and suffering um, being a young empath without knowing I was an empath. I took on an excessive amount of other people's stuff and it would get stuck in me and then I would act it out for them, right? But it was my fault and I was, I was the bitch. So um, I remember one time uh, my, friend, my friend who lives in Oregon now was like, it sounds like you need a shrooms trip. And I was like, I was like, what? And he's like, here, just eat this eighth of shrooms. Everything's going to be fine, right? So it was me and two other friends. We went out to this farmland that um, there were like grain elevators and shit. And like nobody was going to be out there. I had a Honda CRV and we parked it in the middle of a field. And I turned the key over and I put on like a six to eight hour playlist of all the music you would want to hear when you're about to connect with the ether, right? So we all like took the shrooms and we stayed together until we started to let go our separate ways. We had our phones on us, we had a safety protocol, and it was basically like, come back to the car if you need anything and honk the horn, and then we'll all know to come back together to support each other. So we all started wandering off on our own little way and I found a tractor parked like an acre away from my car and I could still hear the music enough so that's how I knew like not to get too far away but I started peeking is what they call it and I'm actually scared of heights right so um I found myself sitting on top of this tractor and I, and I don't know how I got up there which is like this is this is like you would say like the bad part about it um well an outside judgmental perspective. I thought it was awesome that I was able to notice I that I didn't. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't have a fear is what I was saying, right? Like I was released. Yeah. I was released from a suffering I didn't know that was holding me back from certain experiences. So I'm sitting on this tractor. I'm looking up at a gorgeous, beautiful summer Illinois sky, which is every star you can see ever. And it's, it's beautiful. And I am I'm released from my suffering and I feel positive and I feel happiness like, like I'm not used to feeling it. Like I was like, oh, is this, is this how happy people feel? Like, that's so crazy. Like, I don't feel sad. I don't feel like dying. I don't, I don't feel like I need other people's love. I just feel like I am loved. And then um, I just started talking to Jesus, Yeshua, whatever you want to call him. And um, I just remember being like, I know that I'm pretty rebellious and I, you know, I go against the grain and I, I don't like being told what to do. I don't give a shit that I'm a child, like fuck off. Right. I said, but why do all these people think that like, I don't have you like, like my moral compass is busted and I'm just, you know, I'm fucked. Right. And I was like, it's really hurting my feelings and it's making me want to act out more. And I'm just like, how did I get on this tractor? I'm scared of fucking heights. You know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just having like, all of these these moments with me and then I can I hear the song change over and it's um it's a 311 song it's the one it's like whoa amber is the color of your energy that one right but like the intro of it like I felt like I just literally fell into the ether and like the northern lights just exploded in front of the sky in front of me I could see blues and I could see the greens. And I just remember sitting there just like the music just completely took over my body and was like healing me. And I could still see Jesus over there just being like, yeah, man, just let it go, you know. And then um, I wanted to get closer to the music. So I jumped off the top of the tractor. And that is when I was barefoot and I cut my foot open. Right. 
And I didn't feel it though. That was the crazy part of it. So I walked an acre on gravel and grass and mud and I could not, I didn't know how deep the cut is. I didn't know how bad it was. I just, I could feel like, like my foot was throbbing, but I couldn't feel any pain. I was fucking chilling, bro. I was still seeing the colors <laughs> in the sky. So I went back to the car and honked the horn. Um, and I found my little sister at the time climbing the grain elevator, sitting on the top so she could see the stars better. And I was like, we're not allowed to climb, remember? <laughs> that high. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not allowed to be that high, right? You know, like we're trying not to die. And I was like, hey, I need you to come down. I think I cut my foot. And she was like, what? So we went into this machine shed to find like a first aid kit. And I pulled my foot up and it's like absolutely covered in blood. Doesn't need stitches by any means, but like I really should be feeling it. So then for the rest of my trip, she bandaged me up, cleaned it out really good, thank God, bandaged me up. And I was wearing a pair of Ugg boots on like a 90 degree night of tripping shrooms <laughs> out in the woods. Eventually just like laid on my car so I could feel the vibration of the music moving through my body because that's why I started moving towards it. And then after I had that trip, um, I did another one not too long after and I went to another secluded part in our county where I knew that I wouldn't be disrupted. And I had like what I would call a babysitter and I ended up staying all night and eventually like the sun came up at I don't even know what time. And I remember just watching the sun peek over the cornfield and like hearing the birds and the wind on my face. and. I'm like, this is, th I think this is how it's supposed to be. Like, I want to figure out how to attain this without necessarily needing plant medicine to get me out there. I know there's a way, I know there's a way, I know there's a way. And at that time, still not enough information getting to me. Like, meditation and yoga wasn't really a thing where we were from, right? It was like, you can go to church and then you can go to the bar afterwards and it's totally fine. <laughs> like, it's one of those fucking places, right? <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, so I remember I would just be like, I'm going to do shrooms like every six weeks just to get my mind right. It was like it resuscitated me in it. Now I understood like it really like cleared the fog like from my conscious and I was able to do it. But obviously like going back to the things that weren't helping my evolution at all. I just felt like there was a lot of like karmic cycles. I was trying to like close out and bad habits that I needed to break. And I remember that that was a really big plant the seed moment um, because, again, where I come from, like, you don't do that. That's a drug, da 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 And you're kind of pegged as, like, some outcast, bad kid type shit. And, I mean, now everybody fucking loves plant medicine, right? And people be smoking and growing weed like crazy in Illinois. Like, they've been doing it like Colorado all these years. So it's funny how the perception changes, but... I told that story to understand like those planted seeds moments will actually come back in your growth and in your evolution. Like I always wanted to figure out a sober way to raise my vibration. As much as I love plant medicine, I miss smoking weed so much, but it's more of a suppressant for me at this time than it actually helps my evolution. So I don't use it unless it's recreational. Um, but meditation and yoga, doing a lot of deep diving, a lot of introspection, a lot of journaling, and even integrating those practices out into my everyday life have really transformed me and continue to transform me into the person that I want to be. But I also know if I didn't have those moments where I went against what people were telling me I actually should have done for myself, that would have been more detrimental to me than to respect my elders, air quotes, 
than to be like, I'm actually listening to myself and my own intuition, and I'm sorry to you. It looks like I'm disrespecting you, but you're not fucking me. This is not your fucking journey. And if I listen to you, I'm actually going to end up blowing my head off in a field. Yeah, with your gun. So if you don't get the fuck away from me so I can figure out what's going on with the hurricane inside of me, then, I mean, see you at my funeral, right? Like, that's, like, how detrimental it was for me to not only get out, but really try to find a sober way to understand all of these things that were happening to me. Now I'm at a better a much better place than I definitely was in my 20s. I've released a lot of attachments that were holding me back and a lot of things that really didn't work for me. But if it weren't for those planted moments, and really if it wasn't for that friend, God bless him, for being like, you need psilocybin in nature. And I was like, I fucking love nature. I grew up on a farm. Like, what are you talking about? It truly revolutionized everything. So a lot of the work that you do, um, super near and dear to my heart, right? But from my own direct experience, I understand being that person who's like, I need, I need just shit blown off. I need that shell blown off of me. <laughs> and then we're going to kind of, we're going to walk through the pieces and pick this piece up and be like, do you see why we kind of had to blow your head off really quick? And then like, we're going to settle yeah. you back down. So I, I definitely I, did all that before. <laughs> that was part of the journey, but much, you know, it was, uh, it definitely has its place and you were listening to your elders you were just listening to your farther you know your older elders your ancestor elders that were telling you that this was you know this was how you could access this stuff absolutely because so i don't you know i don't think it was disrespect <laughs> I think oh, no, were... not at all but i mean like, <laughs> i know there's people that are like it's a drug it's whatever like there's always going to be both sides of the spectrum, right? But um, Only because they don't want you to see what you can see. Yeah, or, you know, like they're stuck on their their own programming, whatever. Again, I'm really big to each their own, but I'll also like comedically poke the bear where I'm like, dude, just, just peek your head out for a minute. Like, you know that you're suffering, right? You know there's more out there. Come on. Come on. I yeah. love you. I love you enough to challenge you. And I know that they, they challenge me in their own ways, but I'm like... I did that in my last lifetime, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm, I'm fucking good on this lesson. Thank you so much. Like, let's move on to the higher consciousness and the ascension aspect of everything. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I think, underestimated by a lot of people who are just, you know, they're stuck listening to their elders or their, you know, their conditioning is telling them that that's, it's uh, too fringe, I guess, mm -hmm. for some people, but it's definitely useful, um, especially when it's balanced by, like, you did a lot of work. You were willing to do the actual, like, work, and you saw it as something greater than a recreational thing. It was a purposeful experience, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's even more magical. Then you're really using it for the, it's, it's, ma its magical purposes. Like, you're not just like, oh, I'm going to go get fucked up and bypass all this shit. And, you know, I'm going to feel better briefly. So I don't ever process what actually needs to be processed. But you did it with intention, you know, to process. And that's amazing. Luckily, I mean, whatever you want to call it, higher power, ether, ancestors, elders, all of that, like, they've always just been, like, tapping at my window. 
And I think one of the not necessarily wrong things or problems that I did was I went back to the older programmed people and I was like, hey, I'm having this evolved experience. Can you tell me about it? And they're like, actually, I can't because it's completely out of my wheelhouse. But in, instead of saying that, they would just be like, what your experience is, what you're experiencing, you're not experiencing. And if you are experiencing it, this is actually what it is like. So I would consistently get pulled away from the spiritual part of it and get put into the wrong form of spirituality. And then I would just, you know, it's the resonance in your body. And you can deny that intuition as long as you want. But eventually, I, I think the energy that made us all, it's going to go out there and it's just going to keep tapping and tapping and it might destroy your fucking life like buying moldavite according to the crystal people it might just keep you in a state of suffering and low vibrations where you don't even realize what's going on but i truly think that one day that everybody's gonna have that moment where they're like there's more and it starts with me it's not about outsourcing it it's not about blaming it's not about living in a victim mindset like let's dive deep what modality am I comfortable with starting out at? Because eventually, like, I mean, you can start with self-help books, right? And you you can start right. with, oh, I'm just going to stretch. And then, oh, maybe I'll go down into yoga. And you trust it and you go a little more and a little more. And again, like coming back to you, I really like what you're doing here. I think that this is some trailblazing stuff. And I think that only you can really deliver it because you have lived all of these direct experiences that can only make you extremely empathetic. But I also like you just kind of have like this thing about you where you're like, don't make me come down on you in the nicest way possible <laughs> because I see, like, I see where we're going. I see it and I'm going to let you guide me here, but I'm actually not going to let you hide in the process. And I think that's what I like most about it. Like there's a softness to the hardness that you do have to introduce to people. Cause you know, like you come up and stuff in your journey and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to do this today, but I'm definitely not doing it right now or in the next couple of weeks. Thanks. Bye. And then you kind of like, we're not going to do that. We're going to go do yeah. some downward dogs and some kundalini yoga or whatever we're into. But well, in yoga, it's the effort and ease. It's that balance between the forcing something, forcing or holding a position and then finding the ease in it. Like you're doing something really hard and your body's twisted up and you're like, oh my God, this hurts. But then where's the ease in that? Like, where do you find the stillness in your mind in that? And then that's where... You know, that's where the magic is, is like in between that, that in between space. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's where the coach comes in where you're like, no, <laughs> well, mm -hmm. you know, coaches aren't always nice. Like, I'm not going to not uh, push someone, you know, if I see that they need a little push either. Like, um, there's, can you give me one second? Somebody is knocking on my door. I'm you. so sorry. Let me you. just go. Recording stopped. Yes, I got yeah, I like to think of it of it as like, um, it's accountability too. Like if someone's not, you know, they, you come into coaching with the, the intent to get somewhere. And if you're going to start going there, but then when it starts getting too hard, you got to have the accountability and you, you got to have the ability. And as the coach, you have to have the ability to be accountable and hold them accountable and be like, no, this is where you push. You can't, 
if you give up now, you'll, you know, you got to go beyond your comfort zone a bit and, and do the actual work too. And like the repetition of things and know that like, that's what healing is. You can't just heal something one time, a lot of times, you know, it's going to come up again. These things are going to come up in a new way and tap you again. Like you said, like here, you have to do more work here. And, um, being able to exercise that muscle, right. It's like, you can't like not to expect healing to be like, um, well, I want this thing. So I'm going to heal. <laughs> I'm healing. You can't want abs and do one sit up. Right. And expect you're going to wake up with beautiful, like whatever your dream abs it's multiple repetitions of something that bring you to this new space, this new you that's like evolution. It's, it's practice. And that's where the like discipline comes in. And sometimes you got to remind people like, <laughs> no, this is where you push. You want to back off now, but if you don't push here, you're not getting the transformation that you're coming for. Um, so not like not to not be nice, but not, being nice isn't kindness either. There's no, compassion and niceness kindness is the compassion sorry there's a falsity in in being like nice and politically correct and just like masking nice right that it's it 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 reminds me of like when i was living in dallas and i was talking about knowing eventually that i was going to move to new york um and everyone's like oh people are so mean there there's such assholes there and someone was like no People in New York are kind. They're not nice, but they're kind. They will like talk shit to your face. And then when you're gone, they'll be really nice about, they'll be like, oh, they'll talk nicely about you. In Texas, it's more like they'll be really nice to your face and talk shit about you (laughs) when you're gone. Like there's no kindness and niceness because it's just a facade. You're just manipulating people. The my, my, how nice. You know, the bless your heart people and like all that, all that shit. And I definitely like got a lot of slack. Like I remember um, like if I was around friends or family or something and I went to go like meet somebody else, like immediately they would know that like they'd be like, oh, she has no filter. So like watch out for it. And I said, you'll probably actually like that. I'm going to tell you the truth and it might not be politically correct. And I'm going to try not to hurt your feelings. I don't know if I will, but um I, I've definitely done my share of like gossiping and talking shit behind people's back, but there's one thing you can definitely say about me. Like I probably won't hold back. And if you ask me a question, I'll tell you the absolute truth. And I don't care about the parameters of, Oh, that made me uncomfortable having that conversation. Like you take that monkey back and you can go decide why you're uncomfortable with the way that I'm actually being authentic. And then, you know, going back to just like, maybe you're not my tribe, which is fine because like I just met you and, Maybe I'll see you again. Maybe I won't. But um, I realized that I definitely, like, I, I had that that magical touch that I used properly and improperly through my own journey. But there's a lot of value in a lot of things that you've said. And I know, I know, I mean, there's a million other stories that we can tell about your experience. So if I'm listening, and obviously, like, how could you not be inspired by the story, right? I love this episode. Um, what's the advice that you'd have for people, like, beginning beginning their journey of self-awareness and peeling those onion layers back? 
I would say um, just off the top of my head, like, uh, like be fearless. Um, nothing is going to come up that you can't handle. Um, especially if you've been through trauma, I think there's this idea that you have to re-experience trauma in order to heal it. And that's really scary. Like who wants to go back to the worst experience in their life and re-experience it. And I don't feel like I used to think that, you know, I'm like, Oh God, like I can't go back there because how will I ever get out of it again? Or it took me this long to get here. If I go back, how long is it going to take me to come back to this point? And realizing that you don't have to, like there are these smaller ways that you can access your nervous system response that don't make, you don't have to re-experience the trauma. You can experience something, not even, it doesn't even have to be that similar. And just start to heal that way. Like you don't, it doesn't, so it doesn't have to like, it doesn't have to be so scary. And if you go towards your fear, what is on the other side of your fear is freedom. And there's always, it seems like this idea of like, oh, well, that's so scary. It's so dark. It's so terrifying. I don't know what's in there. Run towards that shit. And when you come, when it, you come up against it, just keep pushing in that direction. When you shrink back, you stop your growth. When you push towards it, you allow yourself to expand. And there's nothing that is coming at you. If you've already experienced that stuff, what's coming at you? but freedom on the other side of it. Like you're not going to re go through that experience. You're going to evolve through it and you're going to find the goodness in it and find the lesson in it and the path to healing. So that's, I guess my, my one thing, just be fearless, go for it. Like the things that hurt you and like the things that keep coming up and like making you feel like, Oh, that feels bad to me go towards that. Why does it feel bad? Be curious about it. So for all of the like beginners out there that are starting either curious about finding the self 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 evolution, wondering like what more is out there, like what would be some advice that you would give them on starting out and all that fun stuff? I would say be fearless. Um, and move past the, um, move past the like resistance you have to going within yourself. Um, there's this idea that, or that I hear a lot from people, like they've had these traumatic experiences. And so they're afraid to go in and see what's inside with the idea that they have to re-experience that traumatic experience. Um, and I used to think that as well, like I've gone through these things, I don't, the last thing I want to do is re-experience those things in order to heal them. Like I had this idea that that's what like inner child work was, was going back and going through these like really traumatizing things in order to figure them out. And then I would be healed. Um, but what I've learned is that you can access parts of your nervous system on like a subconscious level and change your relationship to those things that happened. You don't necessarily have to re-experience them. You just have to change your relationship to them. And your brain doesn't know the difference. Your brain doesn't, if you tell your brain a story, 
it doesn't know that that story is not true. So you can recreate your childhood experiences in a new way and move on from them. They no longer will pop up in the same way. You won't get triggered like in the same way. Things won't, um, because your nervous system has changed. And so I, I just encourage people to go towards what scares them because on the other side of that fear is freedom. On the other side of the darkness is the light. And if you're willing to walk through that, that's what the hero's journey is about is be the fool, you know, be the one that doesn't know anything be the one that's leaping into the darkness because on the other side of that, there is this amazing magical process that happens that alchemy happens and you take something that hurts you and you turn it into a tool, you turn it into freedom, you turn it into a strength and it's amazing. That's like the most amazing thing there is. So I feel like, um, you know, we need to encourage each other to do that. We stay small. Like if you are like, Oh, that hurts. I don't want to go there or that's uncomfortable. I'm not going to talk to that person anymore because they're toxic. This is a toxic, you know, situation. I have to run from it. Instead, get curious about it. Instead, ask questions about why it feels that way. What does that relate to? And start to move in the direction of the thing that's uncomfortable and come out on the other side of it. And get help if you need it, you know, like not be so, um, I needed help. And, you know, I did a lot of work on myself through various modalities, yoga, meditation, blacksmithing, fashion, like all of that was me trying to process stuff. And I reached a point where I needed help. And once I started to get help, holy shit, like it just like multiplied the speed at which I was able to move beyond things. Like it took me 15 years on my own to get to this place where I suddenly was able to let go of things that had bothered me for 15, 20 years within a span of a couple months because I had good guides and I had people that understood what was happening and were able to lead me through it or allow me to lead them where I needed to go and support me through it. And, and once you voice things and you make the unconscious stuff conscious, then you're free of it. And it's amazing. <laughs> and then there's like so much on the other side of that. And you start to gain like resilience and you gain trust in yourself. You didn't die. You didn't go back to this awful thing and like collapse and, you know, fall to pieces again. You grew instead. And so you're like, oh, that worked. And it gives you courage to do it in all these other areas and just keep progressing then. Best wrap go up towards, ever. <laughs> go towards what scares you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Okay. Um. I meant to ask this earlier, but I guess this is good to wrap up. Do you do online life coaching or is it just in person that you do? I do both. Okay. I'm open to doing both. Um, right now I'm just mostly doing online, but okay. um, I'm absolutely open to doing both. And I'm, I can be found on Instagram right now. Yes. I just, yes. I just turned my website off. <laughs> I got so frustrated with it because that scares me. So I'm still running towards that part. <laughs> um, 
there are so many different areas that we all have to grow. So yeah. that's one of the things where I'm growing. But yeah, I'm. Okay, well, your information will be down below for anybody that would like to reach out to your work for you. Also, um, tag your Gmail account too, just in case they want to send you an email. Um, but as she just said, 10 times more active on Instagram and then moving towards feeling comfortable with the website. So I'll keep that up, but I will put like a little tagline by it. Most reached at Gmail and Instagram. If I find myself in Illinois or Illinois, New York, please know I will be looking your ass up because please I please do. I would hope so. I, I'm gonna need a guide. I'm gonna need to be told what to do, where to eat, what to see. I want to go off the beaten path. I don't want to be. I don't want to do the touristy things, right? The only way I go is off the beaten path. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. I will definitely be looking you up. And again, thank you so much for coming on and just being so vulnerable with everything you did. That uh, Katrina story came out of left field, I think, for both of us. And um, yeah, everything that you said, wow, 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 wow. You just kept blowing my mind. But as I said, when we were off the record, like you have a very soothing voice and a very soothing presence, even through Zoom. So for anybody listening around New York, if they're able to work with you, I think it'd be a privilege to work with you in person. But even if you were able to uh, attain your presence online, I think that's a gift as well. Wow, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you having me and giving me this awesome space to mm -hmm. be able to start exploring these things in this new way. Absolutely. Um, you're more than welcome to come back anytime, teach a show, do an information episode, come back, do a continuation on your story down the road. Um, I'm not awesome. stopping this project anytime soon, so I welcome back anybody that wants to collaborate. Uh, but right now, uh, Vitality Exposed is actually going to show us a clip from a Dead & Company show. I went to uh, Hollywood Casino Amphitheater back in June with my concert family. It's a little bit of an instrumental um, breakdown from the band, but um, they did just release their last tour of 2023. They're like, swear to God, you better come to the show because we're done touring. Like, we're done, right? So I plan on heading back to St. Louis with my family to see the outro of um, Dead and Company. And wah, wah, kind of makes me sad to think. Like, I just, I just got to see them for the first time, and now I have to go back to the tour. But again, thank you so much for coming on. And for everyone that's listening, enjoy this clip and go get those Dead and Company tickets before you just watch them on YouTube and Nugs.net. This is the Hoosier Media Network, your home for podcasting.